Wake up, America. It's Morning Air with John Morales. Si, senor. Sarah Tafoya. This is my mom. Am I going to get paid for this? <laughs> and Glenn Leverins. This is Morning Air. That's how I know. <laughs> <laughs> On Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Si, senor. Wake up, America. It's Friday, February 24th. Good morning. Welcome back to the final hour of Morning Air on this Friday after Ash Wednesday. I'm John Morales along with Glenn Leverance and our producer Sarah Tafoya. Thanks so much for joining us across America and beyond here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Happy Friday as we get ready for the last weekend in February. Can you believe it? Uh, on this Friday, let's remember the Sacred Heart of Jesus as well as the passion and death of our Lord Jesus Christ as we do every Friday. Today, of course, is the one-year anniversary of the start of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. If you missed any part of my conversation from a spiritual perspective on this conflict with a Ukrainian Catholic priest, Father Mikhailo Kuzma, last hour, you can still listen to it. Just go to our morning air podcast at relevantradio.com or the Relevant Radio app. Father Kuzma has a, just a, a wonderful uh, spiritual perspective of, of this uh, conflict in Ukraine. And, uh, and we even talked about uh, the consecration of the Holy Father of uh, Ukraine and Russia um, last spring. And so uh, it's a, I recommend that you go back and listen to it on our podcast. Now, even though Lent is underway, if you haven't signed up for Father Rocky's Lenten Lessons on the Mass, it is still not too late. You can do it this morning at relevantradio.com slash Lent. There's still time to elevate your Lent this year in just a few minutes each day. That's all it takes with Father Rocky's Lenten Lessons on the Mass. They are jam-packed with uh, all kinds of interesting facts and teachings that'll help you learn more about the Mass and about your faith. In fact, uh, today's lesson is about the tabernacle in which... Jesus, our Lord, is there present, uh, body, blood, soul, and divinity. You can sign up for Father Rocky's Lenten Lessons on the Mass this morning at relevantradio.com slash Lent. Get ready to learn the Mass, live the Mass, and love the Mass more than ever before. That's relevantradio.com slash Lent. Once again, I want to bring in Glenn and Sarah. Glenn, what are a few of the big stories making headlines this hour here on this Friday morning? Well, guys, it's the one-year anniversary of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Uh, lots of advance notice, uh, thanks to U.S. intelligence, before that happened a year ago. But uh, when it happened, oh, cameras were there, the explosions were there, we saw it. And, uh, of course, it's been a year of misery. Eight million refugees fleeing the country. Uh, good to hear some of the, the voices of those who've had to deal with this. Ukrainian says, from day one, he's seen too much death, and he's angry. I was shocked and I, I wanted revenge. And I wanted justice. Like today, after one year, it's the same. We want justice. And uh, John, military experts uh, predict no easy end in sight. It is. Uh, it is such a, a humanitarian crisis. Uh, uh, this war that we've been uh, praying for an end to now for a full year. I know you, you've talked about the 8 million refugees uh, that have left the country, vast majority of them going uh, to Poland. Um, but uh, do you see uh, any positive news uh, with uh, the reports that China is calling uh, for a ceasefire between Russia and Ukraine? 
I'd be very wary of China's involvement. Uh, the U.S. just in the past week has tried to kind of call out China for getting pretty close, if not already providing some material support to Russia, in addition to, of course, buying lots of uh, Russian oil and gas to help prop up the Russian economy uh, while sanctions are being uh, pushed upon it by much of the West. Uh, China, not necessarily a friend to peace here. Yeah, and these sanctions uh, don't seem to have really uh, done a whole lot of good over the last year. So uh, many are leery of, of the sanctions. Uh, according to a, a recent poll, 50% of Americans want to uh, continue to support Ukraine as long as it takes. And, Glenn, that means that 50% of Americans don't want to support Ukraine. Well, maybe 50% aren't uh, totally in favor of supporting there. There's probably some that aren't sure either way. But, uh, yeah, U.S. public support may waver a little bit. But uh, uh, during times of war, sometimes that, that happens. But, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a tough situation to see what's uh, happening to an innocent country over there. Uh, meanwhile, uh, today is a Friday in Lent. It's a day of prayer and fasting and abstinence uh, for all of us. Uh, uh, for some folks, it uh, can be a little challenging to figure out uh, just exactly what to eat. Uh, Sarah, what do you do in your family? <laughs> it's not challenging here, guys. Come on. There are so many things that are meatless, especially with how many people are vegetarian or vegan. And nowadays, we have so many options now. It's not like uh, we have nothing to choose from. And in fact, because it's now, we have now entered the fish fry season that's part of the, the catholic faith uh, there's always fish fries everywhere it's probably people's favorite time of year because we get to go and have <laughs> fish and talk and and have all the fun do all the fun stuff that we do as catholics so it's not as horrible as we make it out to be i love seafood pasta but there are some folks who just don't like fish well, there's other options. There's raviolis. There's grilled cheese. There's so many fun things you can do uh, that there's the limits are endless. So I don't really see this as a horribly horrible thing. It's kind of a, a fun tradition. And we do kind of have to kind of bring that in and say, okay, we're trying to have a sacrificial. So if you're starting to feel like you want a cheeseburger, offer that up. That's the important part today. Not just that you get to have fun grilled cheese, which I always find to be a fun thing. Who doesn't like grilled cheese? I guess there's people that don't like it. So. All right. Uh, well, as, as always, uh, thanks so much, uh, Sarah and Glenn. Hey, sure thing, John. We uh, always start every hour here on Morning Air in prayer, giving thanks to our Lord for all the many blessings. Through the intercession of the Mother of God, our Blessed Mother Mary, and on this one-year anniversary of the war, let's continue to pray for peace in Ukraine. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady of Guadalupe, patroness of the Americas, patroness of the unborn, and patroness of relevant radio, pray for us. St. Joseph, patron of the Universal Church, pray for us. St. John Paul II, co-patron of relevant radio, pray for us. And we always invoke the Holy Spirit. When we pray, come Holy Spirit, come. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, you can always find us on uh, Twitter and Facebook at Morning Air Show. And if you want to shoot us an email uh, directly with any uh, question or comment or show idea that you might have, it's morningair at relevantradio.com. Our number, if you want to be part of the program, 888 
Now, you probably heard this week of the Asbury Revival that has drawn tens of thousands of visitors across our country, overwhelming a small Kentucky college town. Asbury University, rooted in the Methodist faith, ended their 24-7 revival meeting after more than 50,000 flocked to Asbury over 13 days. Why were so many, primarily young people, drawn to be part of this revival? Listen uh, to these Asbury University Revival attendees who talk to uh, Fox and Friends, Fox News, about their experiences over the past two weeks. We have seen limbs grow back. We have seen... I was, limbs grow back? What do you mean? We have seen people just go up to people, pray for them. Um, even yesterday, I saw a girl take off her boot. She had a sprained ankle. A guy came back in line, prayed for her. She threw it off, started running, and just weeping for what God had done for her. And she said it didn't hurt anymore. Um, I think what I've seen is just, like, the true goodness of God and the true, like, outpouring of the Spirit. And so, like she was saying, we've seen people healed. Um, I've seen lots of reconciliation, which has been a really um, awesome cornerstone of what's going on here. And so I've seen people that have um, very much not liked each other. Um, and, and, and we know this, and then they're praying and dancing and worshiping together. Joining us live from the Chicago area is Morning Air regular contributor Mary Helen Fiorito uh, to uh, further discuss how the Asbury Revival is also setting some Catholics on fire with the Holy Spirit. Mary's an attorney, public speaker, and commentator on issues involving Catholic Church teachings, administration, and religious freedom. She holds the position of the Cardinal Francis George Fellow at both the Ethics and Public Policy Center and the DeNicola Center for Ethics and Culture at the University of Notre Dame. Good morning, Mary. Thanks so much for joining us. It's uh, great to be with you once again here on day three of Lent. Good morning, John, and good morning to all your listeners. It's a pleasure to be back again. Well, you heard from uh, a couple of those students, and, uh, you know, there was a lot going on there at Asbury University. Uh, Can can you give us uh, your perspective uh, on this uh, so-called revival and how it, it actually got started? Well, you know, it's it's really interesting, John, and in fact, I wanted, I had planned to go down yesterday. I had kind of cleared my calendar. I had a full day yesterday, and I was going to drive uh, to beautiful Wilmore, Kentucky, which has only one stop sign in the whole town, or one stoplight, I think. It's a very small town in Kentucky, uh, to try and um, get a firsthand account for your listeners this morning, but unfortunately... The crowds that were coming, I mean, people coming from as far away as New Zealand, John, to experience this, Hawaii, Mexico, um, all over the world, people have been coming to experience this new outpouring of the Holy Spirit in this little chapel at, you know, Asbury College in Wilmore, Kentucky. Um, but unfortunately, in, in conjunction with the, the town leaders, uh, the school has moved um, moved the revival off campus and has restricted access to the chapel only to current students and faculty members because it's overwhelming the community there. There are just so many people coming. But um, it's actually not the first time um, something like this has happened. And in fact, if any of your listeners are familiar with the Catholic Charismatic Renewal, it's it's quite similar to what happened in 1967 at Duquesne University when um, a group of Catholic students um, who had been very much trying to make Jesus uh, more of a personal part of their lives went to a prayer meeting with um, some Protestant students and and had what they kind of call like this 
the personal encounter with Christ. They said they felt they were they were baptized in the Holy Spirit and came back just on fire for the Lord. And so they went from there um, to tell their other Catholic friends about it, and it just began to spread. And um, they, they believed that they received what they call a baptism in the Holy Spirit, um, that they, you know, they were they were able to you know, to pray in tongues. Um, they were able to express some of the other charismatic gifts. Um, and kind of the, the bottom line of it all is that the belief among both these students at Asbury and back in 1966-1967 is that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So the same Jesus that walked the streets of Nazareth and that healed and fed and taught is the same Jesus that we have alive here among us today. And he loves us and he wants to make himself known to us. And, you know, I was listening to to Glenn um, talking about the one year anniversary of the war in Ukraine today. I I cannot believe it's been a year. But when when you think back on the past year, the past two or three years, the lockdowns, um, you know, the, the number of people who died from COVID, war, this is a time where we need the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and we're seeing this abundantly in Asbury. And if it's going to be anything like what happened at Duquesne, now what happened at Duquesne, what they, they kind of the birth of the Catholic Charismatic Renewal, then spread to the University of Notre Dame, and from there it spread to the University of Michigan, and it was sort of the birth of this new renewal in the church. And now there are you know tens of thousands of people who belong to Catholic Charismatic prayer groups and, um, you know, other similar movements throughout the world. But, but God is definitely doing something here. And it's, um, I, I know, it, as you pointed out, Asbury's rooted in the Methodist tradition. And, you know, as you probably heard from the songs that were being sung, they're not Catholic hymns, right? They're from Protestant prayer books. However, Catholics are being drawn, um, in, including Catholics from the local Catholic parish there, and then are bringing what, what they felt and saw and heard, and they're bringing it back to their parishes, which is really beautiful. Yeah, I think that there's a, a lot uh, that everyday Catholics uh, can learn from uh, from this uh, revival at Asbury. You know, you th- think about it. Uh, they're, they're seeking Jesus the Lord. They're invoking uh, the Holy Spirit. You know, the images that went viral just everywhere, you know, just the fervor and the, and the love, you know, these kids with their hands up in the air, uh, you know, praying and worshiping. And yet, if you think about it from a Catholic perspective, they don't have the fullness of the Catholic faith of Christianity. They don't have a tabernacle in that church with the true presence of our Lord. And yet, even without it, they're able to st- still make the most of it and invoke the Holy Spirit and, and feel that outpouring of the Spirit. We are so blessed in the Catholic Church to have it ha- have everything. We ha- we have the Holy Spirit and we have Jesus' true presence. Right, and you know the, the, that was pointed out in a, a story from a Catholic reporter who was reporting for a Catholic news agency and went to see it for himself. And a, a little Catholic girl who was there with her mom and brothers and sisters told the reporter, "I felt like Jesus was right next to me." And um, her, the, this mom that was there, this Catholic mom, then went from Asbury and took her kids over to the um, to the, the parish, their Catholic parish, and pointed at Jesus in the tabernacle and said, "We have the same Jesus, and we have him twenty four seven." And you know, it's interesting. You, you should mention um, the particular interdenominational piece of it, John, because I was having a conversation with another Catholic friend, and we were um, just kind of thinking uh, out loud about why this would have begun in a Methodist church, and. You know what my sense of it from some of the Protestant friends I have, and in the pro-life movement, there it's of course is interdenominational as well. And I have many Protestant friends; um, I'm blessed with their friendships through that. But uh, their 
their sort of aversion to the Eucharist. They see it as a form of idolatry, you know, that we genuflect when we go in. They don't have the understanding of Christ being present in the Eucharist, and I don't think they fully understand that we take those words, this is my body, this is my blood, we take those quite literally, um, whereas they take the rest of the Bible literally, but not that particular passage, so it's kind of interesting. But that, you know, That's a whole other conversation, of course. Yes, exactly. We need like a whole hour, you know, for that one. But, um, uh, but you know, I'm not at all threatened by going to a Protestant prayer you know, a meeting or what have you. I'm happy to pray with my Protestant friends. It doesn't make me uncomfortable. Um, but I think for some of the Protestants who, again, think we worship Mary, think we, you know, we're, we're committing idolatry when we, we bow in front of the Blessed Sacrament, I'm not sure that they would come to us initially. So the Lord is is setting this up in a way that Catholics certainly feel comfortable. In fact, there, um, I saw a Catholic priest from the local parish quoted in one of the news stories about this revival, um, and, and he said it's like a wellspring. You know right away that God is there. But, you know, he said the confessions that he's heard back at his parish from Catholic people who have gone into this revival and then come out, he said really in-depth, beautiful confessions, um, people confessing addictions, and he's prayed with them for healing from those addictions. And apparently there was one young man who was Catholic who um, had been struggling with an addiction who has been able to maintain um, you know, the longest period of sobriety in his life so far. And so really beautiful conversions and healings are coming out, and it's trickling over into our church. Um, and, and I think we're going to see maybe a, you know, a unification of the two like we did, you know, the Duquesne movement when that happened. That actually began at a prayer meeting in a Protestant family's home, and a couple of the Catholic students went. They came back and told other Catholic students what they had experienced. They all received these gifts of the Holy Spirit. And, and the, the message that you're trying to get, get across, again, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The same Jesus that was present to the disciples, that loved Mary Magdalene, that, you know, hugged the small children who came to him. He's, he is here, and he wants a friendship with you. He wants to be available to you. He wants you to come and pour out your troubles to him. Um, and so, you know, this, this is wonderful, I think, that we are seeing all of these people experiencing Jesus and the Holy Spirit and God the Father in this new, very personal and profound way. Well, yeah, I was thinking maybe uh, during this uh, period of uh, Eucharistic revival, um, we can do something uh, special uh, with our adoration chapels and maybe uh, the ones that are only open for a few hours. Maybe some of those can consider being open for 12 hours or maybe even 24-7 if possible uh, so that our Lord Jesus truly present uh, in the Blessed Sacrament uh, could be adored uh, morning, noon, and night. Right. And, you know, so as you point out, we're in the second year of this National Eucharistic Revival. And this coming, or sorry, next year, actually, there'll be this 10th National Eucharistic Congress. It's going to be held in Indianapolis, uh, July 21st to the 24th of 2024. And, you know, perhaps this is the Lord preparing the Catholic community, starting out very small um, and, and drawing in Catholic people so that we'll be fully present at this National Eucharistic Congress um, and, and to be able to really experience this revival of respect and love uh, for our Lord in the Eucharist. I mean, I, I think for so many people who were deprived of the Eucharist for months and months, and in some cases years because of the pandemic, some up to two years for some people, um, I, I think there is a new respect um, and uh, understanding on the dependence we have of our Lord. But um, I, I just think, you know, we we take for granted, I think, what we have in the Church. We have our Lord in the tabernacle, and we can go and pour out everything in our hearts 
to him any time that we want. Um, we as Catholics have, have gifts that our Protestant brothers and sisters don't have, but it's incumbent upon us to share those gifts with them. And I think the Holy Spirit's preparing them and preparing us, you know, for each community to share the gifts that they have with the other. Great reminder, uh, Mary. Uh, Jesus is the same uh, yesterday, today, and forever, as the, the letter to the Hebrews reminds us. And um, I think we need the Holy Spirit. St. Paul says, without the Holy Spirit, uh, you cannot say that Jesus is Lord. So I, I, I think in, in divine providence, uh, God is, is allowing for this outpouring of the Holy Spirit uh, in, in a Protestant church, and hopefully it'll overflow into the Catholic faith. Mary, as always, thank you so much uh, for being with us. Really appreciate uh, your perspective. Oh, you're welcome, John. It was always a pleasure to be uh, with you, and have a happy weekend to all of the listeners. Same uh, to you. Thanks so much. Uh, Mary Helen Fiorito, uh, you can find her on Twitter, at Mary Fiorito. We need to take a short break. When we come back, theologian Dr. Marcelino D'Ambrosio, Dr. Italy, will share some of his 40 Lenten ideas to get more out of the season. So stay with us as this Friday edition of Morning Air continues here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. This is Morning Air with John Morales, Sarah Tafoya, and Glenn Leverins. Your home for faith, fun, and news in the morning. And welcome back to Morning Air. I'm John Morales along with Glenn and Sarah. Thanks so much for tuning in on this Friday morning to Friday after Ash Wednesday. Our power scripture from the Playbook of Life this morning is from Colossians 3.17. The Apostle St. Paul writes, And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. St. Paul reminds us that it doesn't matter if you're a lawyer, doctor, a mother, businessman, or a Major League Baseball player. Whatever you do, if you do it for Jesus and for His glory, you're on the right track. During this Lent, keep in mind that you can sanctify your work throughout the day. Whatever you do, if you do it for the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Jesus the Lord, you are doing it for the right reason. And we always pray with great confidence uh, that prayer that Drew Mariani prays every day in the Chapel of Divine Mercy, Jesus, I trust in you. Now, as we've been talking about uh, this morning, today is only day three of Lent. Uh, how is it going so far? Uh, remember, it's not where you start, it's where you finish. Are you on track with your Lenten resolutions? Uh, are you looking for some practical ways to get more out of Lent, to grow closer to our Lord Jesus Christ? Well, we've got it for you this morning. We have a virtual cornucopia of Lenten ideas, 40 days, 40 ways. I spoke to Dr. Marcelino D'Ambrosio, who has 40 Lenten lessons to get more out of the season. He's known on radio and TV as Dr. Italy. Dr. Marcelino is a theologian, international speaker and author of several best-selling books, including Jesus, The Way, The Truth, and The Life, along with the study program. He's also a professor at Catholic Distance University and directs the Crossroads Initiative. Listen to the second part of my conversation with Dr. Italy. You have so many ideas that we can't possibly cover them all in our limited time, but I wanted to talk about some of the different uh, categories of ideas, uh, beginning with uh, repentance, uh, which is obviously very much in play here during Lent. Can you share with us a couple of ideas for Lenten repentance? It's critical 
that we live a life that isn't just limited to repenting when we go to confession, but that, that we're always becoming aware of sin and shortcomings and asking the Lord's forgiveness right away. So there's a beautiful custom in the Catholic Church of making uh, an examination of conscience, not just before confession, but every night before we go to bed. And that's a beautiful tradition. And so that's one of the, the things that you can get going in your life. And, and the key is, you know, we really want to establish new habits. That's what going to the gym and working with the personal trainers are about. It's, it's not just going and working out like crazy and then being sore the next day. It's, it's, it's gradually like being faithful to a practice. So that's kind of like the idea of 40 days, 40 ways. So here's one practice, you know, every night before you go to bed, besides um, just saying thank you, God, and, and bless me and protect me uh, through the night, it's, you know, what have I done today? Listen, let's look at my day for a second. What have I done that may have hurt others and, and, and let you down, Lord? And, uh, and just get that done, taken care of. Ask the Lord's forgiveness for that. So anyway, a good act of contrition at the end of the day is a beautiful thing. We're a confidior. So that's one idea for repentance. And of course, the, uh, getting to confession is incredibly powerful. So I really recommend everybody to, to make it a point to get the confession and bring others with you. That's, it's amazing. There's a lot of people who would go to confession, but they're awkward because they haven't been in a long time. They don't know how to do it. And a lot of times, if they went with somebody, they'd go. You don't know unless you invite somebody. Uh, you don't nag anybody, by the way. <laughs> you invite. And uh, that's, that's a powerful way to double the power of your own confession by inviting someone who decides to come along and come back to confession. So that's awesome. Well, you talk about uh, a powerful. Uh, I've heard it said that if you do nothing else during Lent, if you can make it to confession and make a good, heartfelt confession, Confession, then that will mean it was a good Lent. That's how important confession is. In fact, our Blessed Mother in some private uh, apparitions in recent years has actually said that confession uh, will save uh, Western civilization from itself. It is such a powerful sacrament, such a great gift that our Lord has given us. Yeah, I just want to throw in that it, it, it is a sacrament, which means it's an encounter with God. It's not just confessing to the priest. The priest stands in the person of Christ. And so you're meeting Jesus. And the, the reason for, for this wonderful sacrament is because the Lord wants to heal us. We wound ourselves and we wound others uh, through sin. We weaken ourselves and we need to be strengthened. We need the power of his love to be poured out into our hearts so that we can be healed and strengthened so that we could, don't keep doing the same thing over and over again. So, like, that's the power and beauty of confession. Why go to confession when you can confess just to God quietly? Uh, well, because you really need healing, and the, the divine physician shows up in person. He guarantees that. So I think uh, that's really important that there's a lot uh, of power in this beautiful sacrament. And you talk about uh, basic fundamentals. Prayer is as basic as it comes. You have some great ideas for prayer during Lent. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, th there is so much. First of all, prayer is not just about talking to God, it's listening to God. And uh, as we, we mentioned earlier, Jesus said uh, to the devil, it's not by bread alone that man lives, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Re listening to him is feeding ourselves with his word. We give up other stuff for Lent so that we make more room for his truth, his word, a lot of Catholics don't really use Scripture in their prayer every day, um, and, and that is something the Church really wants us to do. The Lord really wants to do that. So the Our Father is actually inspired Scripture. Uh, reciting the Our Father every day prayerfully 
is, is an amazing thing and, and is actually a whole meditation on what the Our Father means. The sign of the cross, we make it mechanically. It's not just logging on and logging off to God's computer, you know. It really means something. And it's connected to our baptism. It's a renewal of our baptism. It's, it's saying, uh, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I've been crucified with Christ. His name is, is on my forehead. The original sign of the cross is that, that sign we receive on our forehead when we're baptized. When we make it large, it's like a breastplate that protects us. So I have a whole meditation on what the sign of the cross means, and every day, making the sign of the cross once really intentionally, thinking about what it means, that's a powerful way to grow in prayer, to put on the full armor of God. We uh, make the sign of the cross when we're in front of, of the crucifix uh, during the, the stations of the cross on Fridays, which I know is another one of, of, of your uh, Lenten ideas for prayer. Friday is a day of penance where we remember the Lord's passion. That's the greatest day to, to go out and do the stations of the cross or to pray the sorrowful mysteries of the rosary, which I know many people already do. Um, one of the beautiful things about the rosary is that it's a meditative prayer. It's meant to engage our minds as well as our, our mouths. And uh, there's a beautiful little aid called the Scriptural Rosary, which is available through my website, com, and that puts a, um, a little scripture text between each Hail Mary. So it makes meditating on the Passion, for example, when you're doing the Sorrowful Mysteries, so much more alive, because there are little scripture texts between the Hail Marys, just one verse that helps keep your mind on the mystery. Same thing with the Glorious, the Luminous, and the Joyful. So it's a beautiful exercise if you ha- haven't gotten this a scriptural rosary, you can get one on my website. Uh, you may be able to find it in your local Catholic bookstore as well. Um, but, but in any event, it's a powerful way to deepen your prayer of the rosary during Lent. And uh, we're also uh, sending our prayers uh, through the Blessed Mother, who always points us to her son. Uh, and, and the way you, you do it uh, with the scriptural rosary, it makes it uh, that much more powerful, because then it really is the prayer of the gospel as we meditate on each mystery. Amen. Amen. And, you know, one of the other things, John, is pilgrimage is an important penitential practice. And consider during Lent making a pilgrimage. It can it be a pilgrimage even to, to a local monastery or to your cathedral church or a place with a Eucharistic adoration on the other side of town? And it means we're getting up off our, our butts. <laughs> we're seeking God. We're pursuing God. I also lead pilgrimages to the Holy Land. Uh, the, and the next one is going to be right after uh, Lent right, during the Easter season, and we still have a, a little bit of room. So if anyone would like to come to the Holy Land in April and May, you can come to my website. Um, and uh, you make that resolution during Lent uh, as a vow to seek the Lord, and you can carry it out in Easter time in resurrection glory. Sounds fantastic. You know, there's so many ideas. I knew we weren't going to be able to get through them all, but, uh, you know, you have ideas for uh, intercessory uh, prayer, uh, for fasting, uh, for learning, and maybe uh, some spiritual reading. Just uh, real quickly here in the last 90 seconds, uh, a few other uh, of your favorites. I, I just want to say there's people around that are lonely everywhere. There are people who are lonely and, and really suffering, and uh, the, the the problem is a lot of times we think of people far away as, as, as being uh, the object of our prayer intercession, but we really can, can do a whole lot by just making a phone call to a lonely relative, to an elderly relative, to a bereaved person that we know, someone who's lost somebody. Those are great works of charity, and, and Len, it's important just to point out prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. And almsgiving is not just giving money, it's really loving 
people. Um, it's just really works of mercy. And mercy is all about love's response to suffering, seeing suffering and reaching out to alleviate some of it. And uh, loneliness is great suffering, and all of us know lonely people. So that's a beautiful practice to get in the habit of during Lent, is reaching out to the lonely. And that was my conversation with Dr. Italy, Dr. Marcelino D'Ambrosio, the director of the Crossroads Initiative, crossroadsinitiative.com, and also the author of Jesus, the Way, the Truth, and the Life. Uh, to hear my entire conversation with Dr. Marcelino, you can go to our morning air podcast at relevantradio.com or on the Relevant Radio app. We're going to take a short break. Coming up, uh, you'll meet uh, Dr. Jordan Almansar, the director of public and Alumni Relations at Colby Academy to uh, talk about homeschooling and discuss their virtual college fair, which is going on this weekend. So stay with us. There's much more to come on the other side of this Friday edition of Morning Air as we continue here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Looking at life from a Catholic worldview, this is Morning Air with John Morales, Sarah Tafoya, and Glenn Levitt. And welcome back to Morning Air. I'm John Morales along with Glenn and Sarah. Thanks so much uh, for joining us this morning on this Friday after Ash Wednesday here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. I'm so glad you can make us part of your morning uh, to help you not only through uh, today, but through these 40 days of Lent. Our number, if you want to be part of the program, 888-914-9149. Now, in these final minutes of the show, I want to talk about homeschooling. Uh, Are you a homeschooling parent or are you thinking uh, to homeschool your children? Maybe uh, you're just fed up, just tired of the woke curriculum that is happening in so many public schools across the nation. Or maybe you'd like to go to a Catholic school or a private school, but it's just not affordable at this time. As a parent, this is something uh, that is dear to my heart. I know firsthand my son, Joseph Dominic, was actually homeschooled from second through fifth grade. Uh, We had a great experience with my wife uh, leading the way. Now, if you're thinking about homeschooling, one of our Relevant Radio sponsors, uh, Colby Academy, has a great resource for you. Education is a really personal decision for a family to make, and so... Allowing families to pursue a classical Catholic education in a variety of different ways that works for their family is exactly what I want to be a part of. Classical education is very much value-based. The specific values that we're looking at are wisdom, virtue, and the pursuit of truth. If students are formed in wisdom, they know how to think. If they're formed in virtue, they know how to act, what sorts of things to do and they've been working towards the pursuit of the truth, they're going to be ready for college and they're going to be ready for careers. Joining us live this morning is Dr. Jordan Almansar, the Director of Public and Alumni Relations at Colby Academy, uh, to discuss their virtual college fair that's happening today and this weekend. Uh, Dr. Jordan Almansar homeschooled back in the 80s and 90s. He earned a PhD from Gutenberg University in Germany and has authored two books, uh, When the Earth Was Flat and He Whom a Dream Hath Possess. Uh, Professor Jordan is the father of five kids. He lives in New Hampshire, where he also teaches Greek and Latin at Magdalen College of Liberal Arts. Good morning, Professor Jordan. Thanks so much for joining us. It is great to be with you. Hey, good morning, John. Thank you for having me. 
Well, Professor, this is a topic uh, that really uh, hits home for, for this reporter. Uh, in our family, we know firsthand of, of the, some of the benefits of homeschooling. There's a lot of parents out there who may be uh, thinking about this. Uh, they're looking for uh, you know, uh, some other opportunity. Uh, first of all, can you explain to us what is homeschooling? Why uh, should parents uh, consider homeschooling? Yeah, absolutely. Especially um, this day and age, uh, post-COVID, but even before that, there was a lot of momentum, I think, building up um, amongst people who were just not satisfied with the direction that maybe the public institutions were moving, and sometimes even local Catholic schools. And um, it, it, I think what what generated this was sort of a confidence in, in the self-reliance movement in general that we can do this. Um, maybe, I mean, you, you talked about your experience with Joseph Dominic in, in those early grades. Um, and, and you kind of, you see the results and there's more and more people that can attest this really worked for us. Um, the parents were able uh, to, to make the best decisions for their children in, rather than relying on an institution. It's like growing a garden at home and all of a sudden you're eating, you're eating the food that you produced yourself and not just buying it from the supermarket. And I think word has really gotten out that, that there are some tremendous benefits um, to that. And I think it all centers around the individual person, that, that the parent is in the best position to know what the child needs and to know how to get it for them. And, and those testimonies are just increasing as we, as we go on. Uh, you mentioned the, the pandemic. Uh, have we seen a, a large increase in homeschooling uh, across our country, not just in, in the Catholic community, but just overall? Yeah, I, I don't know the specific numbers, but I, I'm absolutely sure. I've read a few different articles that um, what happened was people got a front seat to their child's education uh, when everyone went online, and, and then they saw what was being taught to youngsters that uh, really wouldn't be something that they would ever bring into their home, yet they didn't know it was going on until they went online. After that, um, quite a few of them switched right away. So at Colby, I'll tell you, a lot of them, um, they thought, well, if we're going to be doing online school, we might as well do it at a Catholic school. So we inherited quite a few students that um, a large number of them became converts and are still with us today. They, in other words, they never went back to their local schools. Uh, now, uh, Professor, uh, a lot has been said about uh, a classical education uh, these days, uh, especially uh, after the pandemic. Can you talk about the importance from a Catholic perspective of uh, this classical education, something that Colby knows a lot about? Yeah, so Colby's curriculum is is sort of centered on the what are called the great books. And there's there's a huge diversity I think in the US especially of what it means to be doing classical education. So each institution or each group or each family kind of has their own way, but it's primarily that it's centered on the ancient books that have been tried and tested over over centuries and millennia. Um, at Colby, we, you know, it's been four decades of, of largely the same curriculum, but the idea is going back to the sources. So you don't read a textbook about Greek philosophy, but you actually read the Greek philosophers themselves. And that, that's, that's essentially what's meant by the classical, classical education, is that we're looking at the greatest works of, of um, 
of our Western civilization and trying to preserve those by giving direct uh, engagement in, in the classroom or in the, in the home, reading the original sources. And within that, as I said, there's a big diversity, I think, in the, in the U.S. As, as to how people approach that and when. But primarily, it's a great books education is, is what people are meaning when they say classical. Well, Professor uh, Jordan, uh, obviously uh, you were uh, t- teaching at the college level there at, at Magdalen College, um, teaching Greek and Latin, but you've also had the experience of, of teaching it uh, at, the, uh, at, the, at the younger levels uh, there at uh, Colby Academy. What was your experience like? Can you share with us briefly what it, maybe a, a typical day was like? Sure. I, I, I'm, I'm really amazed at what happens at Colby, how far, is, um, how far I can lead students into reading original texts in the original languages. There's some really bright students out there. And I'm, I've been shocked at how well it works online. So when I teach for Colby, I'm teaching online. And, um, you know, we meet, we meet twice a week. And so a lot of what the students do is still on their own. They, they have to rely on their parents to tell them you need to get your homework done before the next class. And I think that that individuality really plays into their development, not just with the language, but as, as, um, as persons. So I wake up, I log into class around 11 o'clock. And I, I started teaching for Colby when I was living in Germany, earning my degree. And uh, I would teach at night, and it was a lot of fun. I would log in at night, and I'd be teaching students from across the country and even across the world. We had students. We do have students in Sweden and then also in England. Um, but it was, it was a lot of fun to, to log in in the evening like that, and it was still daytime in America. Sometimes the students were in Hawaii. And it's a great experience because you're bringing people together who all have a common goal, and they, they all kind of want the same things. And so we're there on purpose, um, and, and you can really then build a community, albeit online. Uh, and then with my teaching here at Magdalen, several times um, I've encountered students who come here from Colby, and it's almost, a, it's almost like heaven, a heavenly experience when we get to see each other finally face-to-face is what it feels like. And it's been wonderful. I, I have a student who's a senior now at Magdalen, who I had taught at Colby six years ago or, or something like that. And just to keep that continuity and to realize this person is the same person in, in person as he was online has been great to validate. Professor Jordan, uh, can you tell us a little bit uh, about uh, uh, this virtual college fair that Colby Academy is hosting uh, as we speak? Yeah, absolutely. So it's today. It's totally free. Um, we have some really good special guests coming in from the Cardinal Newman Society, from the Classical Learning Test, and from Focus. That's a fellowship of Catholic University students. And uh, we have representatives from most of the Newman Guide colleges. And what it's going to be is uh, it's, it's an opportunity for parents to hear um, some of the general talks just about the value of, of continuing uh, or starting classical education in college, some of the opportunities for the more practical degrees that some of these schools offer in engineering, in nursing, in sciences. Um, and then we'll have breakout sessions after some of the, uh, the talks where you can go and talk to representatives from these individual schools. If you're interested in them, admissions directors and such will be there. So it starts at, at 8 a.m. Pacific time. And it will, uh, and as I said, it's totally free. So you can check out, uh, you can check out 
the website colby.org slash college fair and register still today. Anytime today, I'm sure you can still get in and, and see some of the content that we'll have there. And I would imagine that uh, some of these uh, fabulous speakers and experts uh, will address the question that some parents have uh, who have their doubts about homeschooling. They, they're like not sure if they can do it, if it's for them. Um, what do you say to encourage uh, those parents who might have uh, lots of questions? Yeah, so I, I, I would quote Seneca who says, the highest good does not seek outside help. It is cultivated in the home. And I think that that's very true. The pagan Seneca could have never meant that as much as we mean it now in a Christian sense. But I, I think the, the one thing, my mission is to, to tell parents that they can do this, that they don't need a certification to educate their own children. And so uh, there will be a lot of testimonials from people like myself who were homeschooled and can say my mother didn't have a college degree yet she gave me an education I could never get elsewhere. And obviously uh, questions about, you know, playing on team sports or maybe even social life, all of those things have answers. Uh, there's ways around it. Um, if, if there's a will, there's a way. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, uh, Professor, real quickly, once again, um, the, uh, the address, uh, if anyone is interested in uh, this Colby Academy uh, virtual college fair going on today. Colby.org slash college fair to register, and it begins at 8 Pacific time, so 11 o'clock East Coast time. Professor Jordan Almansar, I so much appreciate you being with us. Uh, Great uh, to hear your insights uh, and all the fabulous work that's going on at Colby. Thank you so much, John. I really appreciate it. Many blessings to you. Uh, uh, Dr. Jordan Almansar, the Director of Public and Alumni Relations at Colby Academy. And now it's time for yet another edition of Glenn's Story Corner. Our story today is called Two Pills by Joseph Mazzella. I don't spend very much time on the Internet these days. Oh, I check out what my family and friends are doing on Facebook enjoy a funny video or two and take in an inspirational post. I try to stay away, however, from the hateful, angry talk, the politics, the arguments, the bullying, the lies, the conspiracy theories that are everywhere online. They can eat away at your soul. I did see one interesting post the other day, though. It was like a moment from a science fiction movie. Under the question, what would you do? You saw two hands. One was holding a red pill, the other holding a blue pill. If you took the red pill, you could restart your life at six years of age with all the knowledge you have now. If you took the blue pill, you got $10 million in cash. Took me about half a second to decide to take the red pill. If I were six again, knowing what I know now, I'd run across our old swinging bridge after school, burst through the front door, hug my mom and tell her just how much I love her. Then I'd do the same with my Nana. I'd even risk embarrassing my dad by giving him a huge hug when he got home from work. They're all in heaven now, and I still miss them every single day. I try not to change any of my life's choices. I'd still want my life to turn out like it is today. The only change I'd make would be how I felt inside. To relive my life with a heart full of thankfulness, a soul overflowing with love, to be free from fear and full of joy, to be full of wisdom and appreciation would have made every day of that life a blessing for me and a gift for our Father in heaven. Of course, there is no magic pill that will let me relive the last 50 years of my life, so I'll do my best instead to live my remaining time here with all the love, laughter, goodness, gratitude, joy, and light that I can. 
After all, that six-year-old still lives inside of me, and I do have now all the knowledge I've gained over this lifetime. May you always live your life with the heart of a child and the knowledge of the wise. May you share your love, your learning, your kindness, and your joy with everyone you meet. May you embrace each day as a gift from God and live it like your gift to God. Luke 18, 17, Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. As always, thanks so much, uh, Glenn. Remember, today is a day of fasting and abstinence. No meat, folks. And during this Lent, I want to encourage you to try to get to Daily Mass if you can and pray the Family Rosary Across America with Father Rocky, 7 p.m. Central tonight and every night of the week here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. That'll do it for this Friday edition of Morning Air. For Glenn, Gabby, uh, Sarah, the entire Morning Air team, I'm John Morales. Thanks so much for joining us. Let your light shine before all. God bless America. We'll see you Monday on the next edition of Morning Air. Have a great weekend, everybody.